0: Good morning, everybody, and good afternoon, or even good evening, from wherever you're sitting across the globe. Thanks for joining us this SIPS webinar on the topic of seven tips for successful SRM. My name is Sharon Morris. I'm General Manager of SIPS Australia and New Zealand, and I'll be your host for today. We have over 300 people registered today. So please raise your hand and give us a wave or perhaps use the chat area below um, to tell us where you're listening from. Delighted to have you on board. And for those who are participating for the first time, a very warm welcome. And for those joining us again, welcome back. I'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of all the lands on which we meet today and pay my respects elders to elders both past and present. For those, of us, for those of you out there who don't know us, we're the Chartered Institute of Procurement and Supply, SIPS. SIPS is your global professional body for procurement and supply professionals. We're your professional partner for life, and we're here to support you through your professional journey. And with that support comes knowledge. And today's webinar is just one example of the way that we're sharing knowledge to the community. And we're dedicated to promoting best practice, continuous improvement in professional standards, and raising the awareness of the contribution that procurement and supply management can make to organisations and the community at large. As a member of SIPS, you are a trusted professional. You've passed the highest procurement standards, code of conduct and ethics. But you're also joined by over 70,000 members globally. As the world's largest provider of specialist training in all aspects of procurement and supply, we're here to ensure you are successful and you're in demand. And research tells us that MSIPS and fellows mean something to employers. You're you're more likely to earn 21% more too. But most importantly, SIPS is your gateway to connections, networking, part of a procurement community. And right now, there's never been a better time to be virtually connected. So welcome again. But before we begin today's session, just some housekeeping. I'd like to advise everybody that this webinar is currently being recorded and will be made available to all registered attendees next week. All attendees have been muted during the panel Q&A discussion. So um, please do use, utilise the Q&A box at the bottom of this screen and put any questions that you may have for Craig and we'll address them after the, um, the presentation. We'll endeavour to get as many answers out as possible during our Q&A. Now, allow me to introduce you to my colleague, Craig Johnston, our presenter for today. With over 25 years in procurement, Craig has predominantly been focused on doing one thing above all else, and that's raising organisation and people capability in all aspects of procurement and supply chain management. Craig's early career started at the Ford Motor Company as a category manager, and he has held many roles. Roles in procurement consulting um, organisations working with major blue chip brands. Prior to joining SIPS as our New Zealand Relationship Manager, Craig was responsible for developing the SRM framework for Watercare New Zealand as part of their construction enterprise model a model now being used by the New Zealand Construction Accord as a beacon project. Delighted to have you present today's webinar, Craig. Over to you. Thanks
1: so much, Sharon. Um, Let me turn my video on here. Yeah, thanks so much, Sharon, for that, that, that introduction. And um, uh, Again, welcome to everyone that's come on board, uh, whether it's morning, afternoon, or evening to you. Um, respect and appreciate the time you've sort of dedicated towards sort of this uh, Given the busy schedules that we have, so um, yeah, l- looking for us to be sort of a, a meaningful, productive, and, and, and fairly insightful conversation, if I can. So, uh, if we can proceed into the first slide, please. Um, so, as always with these, uh, really sort of positioning the purpose and objectives of this session up front. Um, so, really, um, to share seven practical, specific, and quickly implementable recommendations that I guess for me have proved successful in helping either myself or organizations to raise their capabilities, both in terms of the way they operate as as an organization, uh, but also the the individuals that are sort of conducting SRM on their behalf. Um, And I make a real sort of specific point of focusing on words such as specific, quickly implementable, um, because that's what I'm trying to do here, is give you something that you can take away and use almost immediately, and which doesn't require a high level of sort of change or organizational sort of uh, restructure to do so. Um, Thought-provoking and challenging uh, again, that's really what I'm here to do. So in advance of sort of moving into the first piece of content, I guess, Gio, could we, could we use this as the opportunity to sort of test the poll and, and the, uh, the the technicalities of that for the audience here, please, just to sort of make sure it's working? So what we're going to do now is just allow yourselves to participate in a poll, which is, I guess, relevant really to this first slide. And it, and it sort of asks the question, do you currently have a formal framework within your organization's for how suppliers and contracts uh, are managed today? Uh, and really three, three options. So yes, you do. Uh, yes, you do, but you believe that it needs to change and is open to change, or, or no, nothing formally exists at present. So keen just to see what the feedback on this is, please. Right, so. Okay, so real blend and mix there. So um, just under 30% said yes, just under 40 says yes, but change uh, and those that are saying no is about 34. Okay, so that, that's a nice blend. So really um, what I'm hoping is that the challenge has been set here between those that may learn something to complement what they do today and others hopefully are taking away something to help them build and develop a practice that might not exist yet. So great, looking forward to this. Okay, into, into the agenda, I believe is the next slide. Uh, apologies, first step. So, so what, I, what I've positioned here, um, sorry again, if you. Move. So, so uh, what, what you're seeing in front of you is one of two things. If I cast your eyes to the left hand side of the page to start with, what I've got here is a definition that I guess has sort of held me in good stead and which I've used in the past uh, to try and help sort of educate organizations and individuals just really around what SRM is. Uh, and as I put it, it's sort of a, a single organization-wide approach to managing contracts and in, interactions with suppliers. And, and the key point I always make here is it's trying to help us understand how best to manage these suppliers based on the potential contribution that they can make to an organization's success, but, but also the risk profile that they carry with them. So, so that's, that's the foundations that are always planned here. The visuals on the, pra- on the page sort of represent the, the model that I've sort of developed and, and sort of almost promoted wherever I've gone and at least the last five or six years around what does a good framework look like and, and what is some of the language that you use to sort of help position this. And there's three things I really want to use on this page to help sort of position the rest of the presentation. There's the piece around value outcomes that I talk about and and, and what that is is where organizations are prescribing what is it they actually expect to get from this SRM uh, approach. With each supplier and with each type of contract that we have. So this this is fundamentally understanding the business requirements. There's the piece around the supplier and spend segmentation. So clearly, how do we go about segmenting the suppliers to understand the time and effort that is focused managing them? And then the six sort of colorful sort of feathers, if you like, down the left-hand side represent the different dimensions or elements or levers, if you like, that potentially can or should be pulled to realize the value dependent on what the, what the makeup is. So that, that, that's the visuals here. And that's really what I'm going to use to sort of um, provide the foundations for my conversation going forward, so. Okay, thank you. And so we come to the agenda. So, so the promise was six tips, uh, sorry, seven tips, should I say. So that's really what I'm going to focus on here. And, and they range from two that are associated with the, the whole subject of segmentation. Tip three is associated with value outcomes and and providing or or approaching it in a different way. Tip four is actually quite a quirky one, which is all associated with evaluating people associated with the services or products being supplied. Tip five is about interpretation alignment and and more the contract feel. Tip six is around sort of performance managing outcomes uh, and then tip seven is around innovation. And, and what's, the, what's the plan or the framework that organizations can potentially use to help them sort of support that. So, so that's the agenda. So if we, get, if we get into it, the first tip, as promised, was really around segmentation criteria. And, and, and the tip I'm, I'm looking at promoting here is around broadening the scope of the criteria that you use for segmentation. Now, if I, if I draw your eye to the top part of the page and probably starting at, at sort of the left-hand side, there's a model that I've sort of developed and used, I guess over the last five or six years with organizations that combines an assessment of categories and then suppliers to help come up with a, a consensus view as to what tier that category and supplier sits in. And thus by default, which, what, what is the, the, the manner in which we proceed to manage them. Now, if you cast your eye to the the right-hand side of that page, there's four boxes there that have been shaded. And what I've found is traditionally, organizations use these as the key criteria when profiling and classifying and then segmenting their suppliers. And these are classical ones that we we know are associated with the CrowYet model. So specifications, ease of change, uh, the number of alternative sources available. And then from a business impact point of view, it's predominantly around spend that we focus our time and, and, and activity. Not saying that these are bad, but what I've found is I actually think they fall short of giving us a really sort of insightful, um, definitive view and and, and understanding as to what the makeup of the spend is and what are the pressure points that potentially we should be looking at when managing it going forward in the the tiers that it's required. So things like volatility. So understanding what is the degree of supply chain volatility that the spend and suppliers are associated with. Stakeholder input. So what is the degree to which this category is dependent on either volume or variety or complexity of stakeholder inputs and discussions to actually realize benefits? So you're starting to look here in terms of the the organizational relevance and impact that's required here. From a business profit impact point of view, incident impact. Um, So if something went wrong with this spend, how much of an impact would it have on operations? From a brand point of view, how how important or how much of a contribution can this spend make towards the the brand success in the business? And then the strategy impact piece. So if we manage this spend 10% better, what incremental benefit can it have on the strategy? Would it just give us more money back? Or would it actually help us achieve a bit more than that? So, So really trying to demonstrate that if you broaden the range of criteria used to segment your categories and suppliers, you actually get a bit more of an insightful uh, and sort of uh, uh, complex but relevant view as to why it's important and where it sits. And then along the bottom, what I've done is just give a reflection of once you actually do this exercise, the the gold is as much in around capturing the insights that were generated around each of those criteria. Because what they will do is they will start to drive the agendas and the topics that you then focus on with those suppliers and categories going forward here. So, so that's really tip number one, which is around broadening the scope of what we do when it comes to criteria. Next one, please. Following through from that, uh, what you notice down the left-hand side of the page here is that each of those six feathers that I talked about as being a key SRM enabler is shaded to varying degrees dependent on whether it's a tier one, a tier two, a tier three, and a tier four. And, and these, th- these, these different sort of Uh, uh, Feathers, if you like, are associated with anything from uh, alignment and strategy between organizations, governance practices and ways of working, degrees of contract management, uh, performance management attributes, continuous improvement and innovation, and then supply chain management. And that's what's its key to sort of ensure uh, is in place and defined is not only the criteria for differentiating between our tiers, but what actually the implication of that tiering is on the amount of time and effort and focus that's given to each of those dimensions. You know, so for example, if you do identify you have a tier three, the question is, so what does that actually mean in terms of what I'm gonna do with them? And what degree of importance do I place on those six dimensions that are associated with it? Okay, thanks, Joe. Tip two, still sitting within the segmentation space, but, but this one's more focused now around where I believe it's probably best placed to have or run your segmentation type activity. Um, now what you have in front of you here, uh, if I focus first and foremost on the three cogs in the middle, these are sort of my representation if you like of a, an end to end category management value cycle. So to your left-hand side, you have your category strat- strategy development phase. So, so steps one to four are all about developing your category strategy. Steps five to eight is then when you are both taking this to market, but also in parallel running the internal change work that's required to stand this new strategy up. And then the final piece steps, nine to 12 is all about picking that contract up and delivering it, but also then managing the supplier relationships to the degree that's relevant based on the tiering. Now, what I've found is if you look at the two triangles, the one to the far right, uh, the furthest right, which is highlighted commonly found here, I tend to find that a lot of organizations actually apply segmentation during the contract rollout and supplier implementation phase. So it's almost like the work is done or the analysis is viewed once they have contracts established here. What I'm suggesting is that if you actually move that piece of work to uh, the phase in the project where it's all about writing your business case or developing your category strategy, it allows you from your tiering exercise to fully understand, What's the scope of work that needs to be included in your supplier go-to-market exercises? And what is the, the scope of work that you potentially need to be looking at changing internally to allow you to manage that tier relationship effectively going forward? The problem is if you do it after you've written the contract, you, what you find as an organization is you're trying to shoehorn practices into a contract and negotiated relationship, which may either not allow it or may uh, not not enable it to occur because of the time and effort required. So it's, it's all about trying to do this sort of front to back as opposed to back to frontier. Okay, tip three. So tip three is all about the value outcomes. Um, and at the, the start of the conversation, Sharon mentioned that I'd spent some time in Watercare helping them to build an Alliance model for how they manage their contractual relationships going forward. Um, fundamental change in their SRM practices. And what they were looking to do with, was, was partner with two construction organizations to help them manage $2.5 billion worth of spend over nine years. And we ran it through an Agile, agile program. And, and for, for many of you, you're either familiar with the, the content of Agile as a tool, or at least the principles of it. And, and the one really powerful thing that it helped sort of position in my mind that, that helped me to build my SRM framework further was that Agile drove us to ask and answer one question very early on, which was, what is the value outcome we are trying to achieve from this relationship model going forward? And it allowed me to sort of put together a couple of different um, coaching or facilitation methods to work with the business team to try and flush out a really thorough set of outcomes that we were trying to chase. Before we started the exercise, the business was hanging its decision to go to an alliance model based on trying to achieve three things. A 40% reduction in carbon, a 20% reduction in cost, and a 20% year on year improvement in health and well-being in their people. Now these were fine as cornerstone elements, but what I wanted to do was use a model like this to actually stretch people's thinking and get them to look at value in other ways as well, given the the size and the magnitude of the challenge. And I pivoted the conversation around three key elements. One was getting them to think around protective value, So things that we may need to identify or secure, which will allow us to protect the foundations on which we're building this relationship and allow us to move forward once and move forward with confidence that we're not gonna be sort of caught up in events that may damage our brand or damage progress. So this was getting them to think around things such as sort of stronger supply chains where we thought there was need to do that. Um, The safety of our people uh, and smoother or one way, which is about the time and effort we may need to put into ensuring that when we apply new ways of working with our supply partners that we're able to stick with those and comply with them and that actually everyone works in the same way at the moment what we were finding was there was a lot of sort of uh, differentiation between practices that pe- people did or didn't apply and the degree to which they actually adhered to them the middle piece is pretty much the cornerstone so it's productive value it's 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 everything associated what with what the the, the category of spend fundamentally does today but which we're wanting to push further in terms of our tolerances and expectations. So higher from an innovation point of view, what is the speed factor or delivery factor we're looking for? The cost factor, the better factor in terms of quality, or the ease of working. So that was the productive element that we got them to think about. And then there was the progressive piece, which was saying, if we want to break new ground here or or use the benefits from productive and protective to leverage this spend even further, what is it we want to look at doing? And we started thinking around things that would actually sort of provide further revenue opportunities off the back of this, uh, or help us to raise or drive capability under, under the SMART acronym. Or from a community and a, and a social responsibility perspective, what is it we needed to put in there? So, so really, the essence of what I was trying to demonstrate here was using uh, a, a value outcomes um, three-dimensional approach to really driving and stretching how we think about what it is we're looking to get from a category. Uh, and clearly the the depth and the focus and the weightings of these will vary dependent on whether it's a tier one or a tier four. The water care relationship was a tier one, so we went all out. If you looked at a tier three for example, you may not even look at all of these. And if you do, some of them will be weighted very lowly. But it's all about driving a comprehensive definition around the value we're looking to achieve here. So okay, thank you. So step four, sorry, tip four, as I said, and I I define this as being the quirky one. And again, forgive me for relating this back to the Watercare experience. But what we were looking to do there as an organization was to uh, create a think tank, which was combining and leveraging the respective elements of expertise that sat within Watercare with our construction partners and also our design partners. Uh, And thus there was a, a high degree of dependency on us picking not only the right organizations, but the right people who were going to form part of that, that central, highly impactful think team. And thus, we, we, took the, we took the step of actually including an evaluation of people in our tendering exercises when we went out to market. So, uh, not only were we looking at technical capabilities of the companies and their experience, but we were actually putting under the spotlight the people that they were proposing to put forward to be part of that team. And through a combination of remote behavior and personality tests uh, and then sort of case studies and and sort of monitored events on the day per supplier, we started to build up a fairly good understanding around what made each person tick and whether they had the right attributes to complement what we required from a good, high-performing team. And some of the things that we were looking at in conjunction with a a third-party behavioral uh, assessment organization, were well, things like their, their influencing and, pre, uh, and presentation skills, given that these people were going to be going back into their businesses to try and demonstrate changes in approach that they needed to make and trying to convince them that other operating models were required once this thing was up and running. Their problem-solving capabilities, their abilities to work effectively in teams and fairly high-powered, fast-moving teams, their analytical skills and also their elements of creativity. Because what we were looking to do here was have these people come on board to solve problems for which we didn't know the answers, but we needed them to help us do so. Uh, and this actually proved very successful because in one circumstance, I believe it actually was a deciding factor between uh, certain individuals being sort of recommended to be brought forward for further, uh, for further evaluation. Uh, and it really applied an element of science behind if we're working with people to solve solutions, well, why don't we evaluate people as well as the organizations and the products and the services that they actually provide? Um, so hopefully this one sort of triggers a quite a creative thought in, in, in people on the call. And I'd, I wouldn't mind actually just testing that now, Gio, if I could, with a, another poll, please. So just waiting for the, the poll question to come up. So, so poll number two, and, and the question is a very simple one, which is, Um, have you within your respective organizations or or yourselves in in, in tenders that you've run ever actually sought to use behavioral assessment to evaluate your suppliers and more specifically those representing your suppliers so whether um, you have is a yes or a no or no you haven't but on the back of even this quick conversation that, that there's a consideration that you might look at it going forward so I'll just give you a couple of seconds here just to sort of feedback your thoughts on this So there's a f- okay. So right, interesting. Okay, so so there is the about fifteen percent of the audience here that actually have, d- have done it. Um, so so not as not as rare as, as as what some perceived as 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 being as, as an effective way of sort of adding to the uh, the evaluation. Just over fifty percent have, ed- have said no, um, but actually quite promising that thirty four percent, even on the back of this five minute conversation, are probably interested or curious about potentially using this in select situations going forward to, to evaluate their suppliers. So, okay, no, that's good to see. Thank you. So um, moving forward on to tip five. Ah, okay, so, so tip five is, um, this is where we're starting to reach down into the absolute uh, basics of, of, of the contract management element of SRM. And it's um, it, it's one that never never ceases to sort of astound me when I sort of go into organizations or work with organizations on, Uh, rolling out um, and embedding and then managing contracts, how little of of some of this is actually done or done well. Um, And I use the phrase interpretation alignment to mean uh, how well contracts are actually interpreted between organizations in terms of those that are delivering one. And actually what degree of alignment actually occurs between those that are delivering in terms of what it is they're understanding here to do. So if I run you by the three icons here in the middle of the page, the first one being thumbs up, and what i 've said here is it 's about shared understanding so it 's about how organizations in, ensure or, or those that are accountable for the success of the contracts ensure that the people that are working for them have have, have confirmed that all contractual obligations that are party that, that, that the parties are sort of associated with have been understood and, and sharely aligned so so those that are about to deliver these, do we actually understand what 's in the contract do we understand what it means? And do we both understand it in the same way? It sounds obvious, but it's amazing how many people I've asked in these contract situations have either come back with differing answers or or no positive answers at all. The second piece is around ownership. So once there's a, a shared understanding, the question then becomes, for each of the different elements associated with contract delivery, are we confident and clear about who is actually owning and responsible for delivering that? Now, that's both from an organizational point of view, but even a functional or an individual perspective. Uh, And again, it sounds an obvious one, but there's so much uh, misclarity or misunderstanding through contracts that I've looked at or worked with people on around who actually should be doing this. So from a governance point of view, it's an element that's not sort of covered as well as it needs to. Uh, And then the translation piece really is starting to take it down to the absolute sort of granularity so, so a, a balance here between sort of uh, overcomplicating and having nothing. But once we understand what the contract's trying to achieve, once we're clear on who is responsible for delivering this, the question then is, are we clear on how the tasks actually need to be undertaken and how these contractual requirements need to be delivered here? So what what point do, do organizations go to towards defining the practicalities of these, how they're gonna work, and how we'll ensure a consistent highly compliant approach to getting things done. Now, apologies. This, this one may seem fairly obvious and it should do, but it's amazing how many times I've I've actually not seen one or multiples of these occur. And when we talk about trust in relationships and SRM, one of the biggest barriers to either establishing or retaining trust goes back to whether this space actually works well or not. So that's tip number five, tip number six. So two to go. Okay, so so tip number six is actually bringing us back into the the value outcomes piece that we talked about earlier on in the process. Um, And and the key thing with the value outcomes is it's what the business is expecting us to deliver from an area of spend or from a supply relationship for it to be deemed success. So by default, the outcomes that we're defining naturally translate themselves into the factors that we are measuring and managing performance against. Now, in principle, that that makes absolute perfect sense to to all on the call. But just to try to to demonstrate in in, in a bit more detail how the value outcome approach worked with the three P's and, and, and how this may be of benefit to yourselves going back into your organization. So for each protective, productive and progressive, I provided an example of what that would look like. And I've also emphasized the importance that we placed in the Watercare uh, SRM approach around having a very clear prescribed lagging and leading indicator. So for our one ways of working, clearly a protective value, we wanted to ensure that all parties would proceed to comply with key critical steps and ways of working associated with delivering the outcome. Because as soon as we started to get a feel that people would go rogue or reinvent the wheel that's when you start to compromise on what it is we're trying to achieve here. So full compliance to mandatory practices was, we, was the ambitious target. The lagging measure, well, there was periodic audits that, that actually would be run um, in a timely manner and where relevant to just ensure that the key things that we're doing to make this thing work are actually being done. But it was a lagging measure. You know, By the time you hit the audit results, potentially you've got a six-month period of, of, of chaos that's ensued. The leading element was really saying, well, okay, can we demonstrate through effective SOPs and training and education that we've given everyone the best opportunity to understand and be guided by what good looks like and how we're going to work this together. The productive one innovation as an example. So the carbon benefits tracker was the means by which the lagging measure was going to be sort of associated. And this was all about trying to drive 40% carbon out by 2024. So the tracker would be, would be our point of reference. The leading indicator, um, and this is associated with a slide that I'll sort of take you through next, was all about what is the performance of what we call the innovation pipeline. So how quickly are ideas coming onto the pipeline? How fast are they moving through the pipeline? And how relevant are the, uh, the innovation ideas to the topic of carbon? So again, we were trying to get that balance between leading and lagging for a productive element. And then the final one, progressive, breaking new ground, was that community piece. So there was a desire to to develop and build even more trusting and respectful relationships with our customers, whether those are shareholders, stakeholders, the community, et cetera. The lagging measure was a net promoter score. So periodically, Watercare go out and assess a cross-section of customers around how happy they are with with the organization, the way we promote ourselves and how we conduct ourselves, which is fine. The leading indicator was what was as important because it showed us proactively are we doing enough in the space to suggest that we are working towards building uh more effective and and supportive customer communities so that's you know engagement strategies and campaigns and events that we were running so really just trying to sort of demonstrate the evolution of the the value outcomes from the initial seed that's planted through to how we use it then to measure and manage performance going forward okay thanks jim And then the final one, tip seven. Um, so the connection with the previous slide uh, and most specifically the um, the productive outcome around innovation and carbon. One of the things I've always, I've always looked at in organizations when they've talked about wanting to drive innovation through their supply and, and category relationships is by asking them the question, do you currently have some form of plan or framework or structure that actually helps you to Capture and facilitate discussions around innovation and then screen and evolve them through to actual embedding tracking and benefit delivery Uh, and even in the situation with regards to water care at the outset they didn't Um, So what we were having to do as we progressed through the selection and identification of suppliers and embedding this was to actually start building this um, Because one didn't exist if you look down the left hand side so again, the cornerstone of all of this was well, what are the outcomes we're trying to achieve from this program? Because they will then help us to drive and categorise the types of ideas and thoughts that are relevant. You know, so so in organisations of past, and you probably found this as well. A lot of ideas get thrown from the supply market into the business for consideration, but when you actually look at their relevance or applicability or their importance to the situation as is, they don't always do what we need them to. So here, what we're trying to do is be very prescriptive around these are the areas and these are the problems we need to solve. Uh, and then it's taking them there through um, some form of collection and cleansing um, and evaluation of ideas. You know, Do they fit? Are they not relevant? How do we prioritize them? And then taking them through into the execution and, and most importantly, the tracking phase. So when we're trying to qualify the, the benefits from innovation. Is it price benefit we got from that? Was it speed? Was it safety? Was it something else? Um, so by no means um, uh, a be all and end all in terms of an innovation management model. But hopefully there's enough there at least to sort of prompt some thoughts or thinking around if you were going to build something, what would be the straw man you would potentially start with? Uh, and, that, and that's really the final tip for myself. So seven tips in total. I guess back over to yourself, Sharon, to, to manage the questions. Thank you. I think you might just need to put your... You've just got your... Yeah, here we go.
0: Yeah, thanks, Craig. <laughs> Having a good day of it here. Um, great, we've got a fair few questions coming in, so thank you, people, we'll get started. Um, Craig, can you perhaps talk through what tips you have for implementation of SRM during and, uh, SRM during and post-COVID, and can we revisit the segmentation and values outcomes?
1: Sure, uh, oh, look, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's clearly an obvious and a highly relevant question at this moment in time. And, and you know, the, the topic of SRM in general is, is critical and highly impactful and relevant at this point. But if I, if I draw back to one of the slides that we talked about earlier on, which is the, the segmentation criteria, um, one of the things that I, that I emphasize as a real benefit is widening the scope of things that you use to evaluate your suppliers and categories. And one of the things I look, well, there was two key areas I looked at. One was volatility. So we, we've always looked at um, how volatile or unpredictable is the supply market within which this category and the suppliers operate. And also, if something went wrong with this spend in our business, how much of an impact would it have on operations and brand, et cetera? So, so, so by us having done that in the past in the way that we did, when risk came to us to gain a, a better understanding as to how much of a handle we had on our supply chain, we were actually able to show them fairly quickly. Look, we've already started to analyze and categorize them based on who could hurt us the quickest, who could hurt us the most, who potentially needs our help the most in terms of volatility in the supply market. So so, so there in itself was a classic example of, we know where, when and how our supply chain could be a problem. And in this very environment, that's the sort of information that I know is gold to businesses. So it's just, there's one example there of how this could actually help at this moment in time. Um, Beyond that, I guess, Good SRM builds um, trust, credibility, support, um, um, proactive sort of relationship building. These are all traits that if you have those embedded or under control in advance of, of situations like this, they come back to help you because customers of choice are, are, are how you're seen and businesses will go the extra mile to actually help you potentially at the expense of others if, if this prioritization to happen. So hopefully, hope the, uh, that answers the question.
0: Thanks, Craig. Um, some around the personnel and probably t- uh, focused on tip four, when evaluating personnel from a supplier, it is a point in time assessment. Um, and also another question around, um, you know, how do you weigh the evaluation of people in supplier organisations with regard to turnover um, during contracts. So very much around resources here. If you are entering into a long-term contract, how can you keep this process embedded in the contract management?
1: And that's around the behavioral piece is shown is Sharon, is, that the, is that the question
0: well also at a point in time um, when you 're looking at uh, the resources that you 've got when you 're at contract um, and cool. then you 're on a long term contract and that changes so just talking about the personnel that you 've got
1: absolutely so, so one of the things uh, so, so the the behavioral or cognitive assessment that was done um, was actually a very clever tool that that really Um, It helped to sort of map against people's natural styles and behaviours, not necessarily at a point in time, but based on genetically how they're wired. So so both we got a view as to just traditionally how people are wired and now how they behave in certain situations. So it gave us us a fair degree of confidence that we are, what we were seeing and recording both in terms of a, a documented assessment versus a case study assessment were actually fairly true and representative of how this person operates generally. Once we took it into implementation with the successful companies, we were actually using that cognitive behavior information with, with our third party to sit down and then put together plans as to how people either need to um, d- develop or be conscious of their behaviors in, in, in the group with others. So we shared everyone's profiles. So they knew how to work, how, how not to work, and how best to get um, behaviors out of people based on how, how they were operating themselves. Beyond that, that there was a a contractual requirement within the the agreement that if if any of the person was to sort of leave within sort of 12 to 18 months, there would be an element of compensation and an opportunity to reassess further candidates because they place such an emphasis on having the right person sitting in front of the right company and the right capability. So so hopefully, hopefully that answers that question.
0: Well, oh, thanks, Craig. Um, and in terms of the tips that you've provided today, how have suppliers responded to these new approaches which, which have been shared?
1: Uh, I mean, I, I guess I'd probably speak on, on, on most, if, if not everybody on the call, given, given the backgrounds that they have, but, but if, if a supplier is given an opportunity to either participate in for the first time or re-engineer an existing relationship in a way which is more fair, balanced, structured, visible, consistent, objective. Um, You're actually not gonna get too many here that would actually push back and say, I I don't really wanna be a part of this. Because one, it puts them in the best light and allows them to perform to their full potential. And two, it actually shows that there's a a level of structure, professionalism and consistency behind the company that they're actually working with. And that can only be a good thing from a, a risk point of view, a credibility point of view, a trust point of view etc so i've never found the principles of this being something that suppliers disagree with the way in which it's actually implemented and applied yes varies and that's very much down to the company and how it how it proceeds to do this
0: Right. thank you and how do you capture and retain the interest of your business stakeholders
1: oh yeah, the million dollar question um, Oh, look, the, the first key thing, again, and, and forgive me for taking it back to the segmentation model, um, and I, I know there's at least one person on this call that can sort of um, appreciate the conversation I'm about to have because they were involved in it, was if you get your segmentation criteria right, and, and by that, including criteria around um, impact on business or contribution to strategy, so, so language that is relevant to the business and of, and of most importance to them. And if you take them through this exercise, you, you build more credibility and respect from them because they, they start to understand that procurement is looking at the business as a whole and protect, protecting the interests of the stakeholders and the, and the respective plans that they have. So that exercise in itself has a real positive impact and, and it starts to, to, to gain a hook into them being involved more going forward. Um, beyond that, I guess it's acknowledging the value outcomes that they've helped you script and in proceeding to demonstrate through the, the performance reviews and the performance results that we're here to work with our suppliers and you to deliver the outcomes that you said important and are significant to you hitting your milestones, goals and objectives. So it's it's demonstrating that guardianship, guardianship bit, guardianship bit. I won't say it for a fourth time, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's demonstrating that we're here to do more beyond just run tenders and manage, uh, you know, implementation of contracts. We're here to actually help the business protect its value.
0: Mm-hmm. And if we can just delve a little bit deeper into behavioural assessments of suppliers, is that just an internal informal discussion around how the vendor rep behaves? Or does it mean we need to use more formal tools such as personality tests, 360 feedback, etc.?
1: Uh, t- so, if I if I split the two elements, so there's one bit which is around um, assessing supplier behaviour in advance of um, selecting them for for a form of partnership or, or sort of contractual arrangement. In in the situation that we used, um, we we used a third party organisation with a, a fairly a fairly clever behavioural assessment tool that um, took a combination of assessing the suppliers offline through a, a series of questionnaires. And then using those questionnaire profiles to help guide an architect a very clever case study exercise um, on the day when we brought them into the room as part of their tender. So we gave them, we gave them two workshop case studies to run in the room. One was a hypothetical situation. Um, I think it was about how you would deal with a a forest fire and you're all stuck in a house. The second one was more sort of um, topic based. So we gave them a a landscape of our value outcomes that we were looking to drive through the program. And we asked them to come up with a selection of the KPIs that they thought would be relevant towards achieving those value outcomes and what the weightings would be. So that's how we tested them prior to bringing them on board in a very balanced manner using, um, you know, behavioral assessment tools. When we get them into the relationship, beyond sort of working with them to respect each other's behaviors and getting a you know, get, getting respectful and balanced model there. We did agree that we needed to run what we called a 360 server. And, and that was um, part of the KPI program to allow both sides of the party to say, do we actually believe this relationship is working the way that it needs to? So, so not looking necessarily at individuals, but looking at organizations. You know, so, so asking questions from the speed and the transparency of information that we're sharing, the openness and honesty of conversations that are conducted, Um, The effectiveness of how we deal with problems and solve them Um, and then interestingly enough we we asked just one very simple question as well Which is do you actually trust the organization you're working with? now, I'm I hadn't I hadn't stayed there long enough for that first survey to have been implemented and used but what I know is I actually used that survey or something similar in an organization about five years ago and It was a pharmaceutical company that had gone out to about 20 of its top suppliers understand how they were working with them. And as part of a survey, I did ask that one question, do you trust the client? And 50%, sorry, 80% of them came back and said yes. The gold was in those that came back and said, I actually don't trust this company at the moment. But they proceeded to qualify that with information to the point. And that was probably as valuable as those that come back and said yes, because they were honest enough and deemed it important enough to come back and say this. So, so hopefully that, that answers a, a, a part of the question that, that, that was posed.
0: Thanks, Craig. Um, within each organization, who would you recommend to lead SRM procurement, a category manager or the stakeholder, the main user of the goods and services?
1: Oh good, good question. I, I guess um, I guess if I look in terms of um, advocates of, of the SRM program, um, pr- procurement needs to be well-represented or sort of almost signposted there as being a key sponsor in it. So, and, and what I mean by the advocacy part is the promotion to the business, that this is a, a, a I call it discipline, but I, th- I believe it's more important than that, is that important that we are here to help promote it and almost drive the direction and the, the overall approach and framework by which it should be conducted. So I think that's really something that sits heavily within procurement space, whether that's then sort of co-sponsored by key functions such as operations, um, or, or finance, I guess is partly dependent on the nature of the company and what they do. So I see procurement as being a key advocate, both in terms of its importance, the framework and what that looks like, and also the coaching and the education of the business around how to apply it. The problem that you have is even if you had 20 or 30 key tier one or tier two suppliers to manage, that's a lot of time and energy. And, and the fact is you either you won't have the right or the or the volume of procurement resource to do it. But but also it feels uncomfortable for for procurement necessarily to be leading business relationship expenditure agreements. So what they're doing is they're then coaching the business to potentially lead the relationships, but they're facilitating and potentially guiding them through how to do that and potentially sort of managing, I don't know, key strategic review events or, or providing key inputs into how they should be run and facilitated. So I believe they have a role to play in advocacy development, coaching, and guidance. In terms of delivering, I think they have a part to play in the delivery of an element of each relationship, but I think overall ownership actually sits in the business.
0: Great, thanks, Um, How have you overcome internal resistance to play a greater role in managing the relationship with suppliers as opposed to the contract management or operational performance?
1: Right. Bear with me one second here, because I've just noticed that the battery is running very low. So I'm going to run around the corner very quickly.
0: (laughs) Some great questions coming coming in here. Um, Thank you. If we don't get through them all today, um, we'll get Craig to answer them and and come back to you over the email with those answers. So um, as we all experience right now, um, virtual environments are challenging and power does run out. So over to you, Craig. Do you want me to repeat the question?
1: No, no, no. It, 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 again, it's a very good question. I, I think if, it, it, it partly comes back to the whole value outcome piece and also um, understanding from a business point of view what keeps them awake at night and also what they are targeted to deliver and, and what their performance is measured against. And, and um, really for me, that, that's almost how you start to... Um, Hone or polish the conversation and, and the means in which we actually try to address that with them, which is start with what is it their task we're delivering as a business, as a function, as a unit, and, and then demonstrating using you know or, or twisting the lights of a value outcome conversation, the degree of of opportunity or or impact or threat that is faced by not managing or coordinating interactions with suppliers and delivery of contracts in, in a manner which is I guess deemed good practice. So. Between your value outcomes piece, which you're using to to try and understand really what's important to the business and, and shape shape their agenda, um, the use of the segmentation piece, you know, albeit even very crudely, just to demonstrate the link between factors that are important to them, elements around the market, and, and what a category or a supplier can or can't do, dependent on what we do with them, um, and, and then just really the uh, the key elements around what what, what constitutes good practice. So. You know, the, the notion of, do we understand what's in our contracts? Do we actually have relationships at an organizational level, as opposed to just individuals that come in to meet with us? Um, and do we, do we periodically understand, measure, and review the performance that we're getting from them? And, and those, that those are conversations that, that, that look, any, any, any well-respected stakeholder in the business would, would, would sort of understand and adhere to and respect. It's just about turning it into language that's relevant to them. As opposed to the confusing them with language, which is uh, either threatening uh, or confusing, or, or just likely to sort of turn them off.
0: Great, thank you. Um, are indirect materials more suited to SRM frameworks? Uh,
1: I would, I would have to say no. I, I, I think. I think the fundamental principles of, of an SRM framework and, and, and whether that's SRM in terms of a full-blown tier one type model versus tier three and tier four, which is more sort of tactical and reserved in terms of time and effort, I, I don't think the fundamental principles differ. I think it's, it's all about understanding the dynamics of the category, its relevance to the business, the supply market situation you're faced with, and, and just building a solution that, that's appropriate for that. Um, you, 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 tend to find clearly that your, your tier one and your tier two suppliers are probably more likely to be in uh, direct type expenditure. Um, certainly in organizations wh- where, where you are sort of making things or producing things, but I, I'd, no, I'd, I, I think the same principles apply. I, I think it's just back down to what are the constituent elements of it and how important is this area of spend to business success? And what does that mean in terms of the time and effort that we have to put into, to managing it?
0: Great, thank you. Well, I might just ask the final question so that we can keep to our time commitments. Um, what software tools have you used in the past to support SRM, specifically um, supplier categorisation and contract management? Anything you could recommend looking at?
1: Oh, okay. Um, In terms of supplier categorisation, I've, I've not used any software. I guess the organizations I've been in and work with, we, we've just built them. You know, it, a, a, fairly clever, a fairly clever spreadsheet backed up by just good logic around the content and the criteria, I, I think, is all you need. Um, in terms of contract management software, um, look, I, I've been exposed to or seen anything from uh, the Ariba platforms to uh, Cooper um, mentions around tools such as sort of Felix um, you know, so, so there's there's a wide variety out there at this moment in time. I I, I think they all have their positives and, and, and negatives. I think it's partly back to the scale uh, and size of the organisation, uh, the existing sort of platform they have in place that it needs to complement and work with. But no, there, there's 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 a fair a fair selection of them out there. What, what I have recognised, that I think, the market's stronger in the contract management space than it is in the supplier relationship space. So if you, if you, if you flip that on its head and said, have I seen something that's as good as a customer relationship management platform that is well embedded and well applied across the world by now, not yet. Um, But look, technology moves fairly quickly. So, you know, what wasn't, what what wasn't there two years ago could be there now. And and I just don't know about it, but the system systems are key, but at the end of the day, the system is an enabler um srm is as much about just people working effectively with people
0: and just finally craig just some closing remarks um, from your seven tips uh, to the professionals out there
1: oh look i i i mean certainly everything every every time i get on a call or i stand in the room or I, i speak on a web conference i hope that i i provide an element of value that everyone can take away and use and apply and get benefit from. So I I hope this has been a benefit to all of you in in some manner or another. Um, And again, the focus for me was about providing tips, which could be potentially implemented quickly and easily without a lot of organizational change um, or sort of uh, uh, layers of decision making. So hopefully some of this stuff can be applied pretty quickly.
0: Terrific. Thanks, Craig. Um, I'm sure many people will agree with your comments that they've been really, really insightful and um, and a useful um, format today. And many questions have been coming in. So thank you for that. We will get back to your questions if we haven't answered them. Um, So so, um, thank you for asking. Now, um, to all of you, uh, thank you again for attending. And please take a few moments after you exit the webinar to complete a post-webinar survey. Your feedback makes all the difference. Helps us improve on our um, webinars in the future. A copy of the webinar and a list of any unanswered questions, as I said, will be emailed to you next week. And I'm really excited that the next SIPs webinar will be focusing on the Reconciliation Action Plan program, um, a framework for organisations to support Australia's national reconciliation movement. And the topic is around. How can procurement play a role in driving social change and impact? So that's a really exciting one. Thursday, the 28th of May, and we'll be kicking off an earlier start Australian Eastern Standard Time at 11am. Now, please look out for the SIPS um, events emails. It'll tell you more about our webinars coming up. And as always, keep connected on LinkedIn, um, because we've never needed to be so connected as right now. So keep the virtual connections going. Start the conversations on LinkedIn groups, um, either the SIPS ANZ site or the Global site. Keep safe and well, everyone. Take care, we'll see you next time.